0: be a, a hopefully not not too long of a study you know but kind of long but um I want to open it I want to open it up for a time of questions at the end because um, I know a lot of a lot of questions are going to come up as we go through the chapter. there's a lot to go through some 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 crazy stuff in this in this chapter you know but so uh, at the end uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna open up maybe five minutes to if, if anyone has questions so if we're going through the study just write them down and, and shoot them at the end and I'll I'll, I'll do my best through through uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to answer your questions so Daniel chapter 9 we see that uh, chapter seven and eight, Daniel has received prophetic visions while he was still under the the Babylonian Empire. You remember the vision of the road and, the, and of, of the ram and the goat. It was still under Belshazzar. The, the vision of, uh, of of the four beasts, you know, he was still he was still under Belshazzar. But now we start Daniel chapter nine, and Daniel chapter nine, we're, we're going to see that it takes place while he was under under Darius, you know, of of the Medes and the Persians, and so. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel now receives a third prophetic vision. This guy's on fire, man. The Lord really just uses him. You know, he used him. Um, We're going to see later on in the chapter that that the Lord calls him, you know, you you are greatly beloved of the Lord. You know, we see that that, that God used Daniel in a mighty way. Well, look at us, you know, 2000, some 2000 plus years later. We're reading his prophecies, you know, we're studying his word. We're getting encouraged by, by what the Lord showed him, ministered to him. You know, and a lot of things came to pass, you know, we're able to look back on him. And so we see that, that Daniel's living in a, in a unique time because he is seeing prophecy fulfilled right in front of his eyes, right? He, the Lord gave him that, he interpreted that vision for Nebuchadnezzar of that statue. He saw it come to pass at least partially, you know, with the, with the second kingdom, the second world governing empire taking over Babylon. Now he's living in it. Now he's, you know, serving under it. And now, uh, so he's seeing it being fulfilled right in front of his eyes. And for him, it's, 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 I can imagine, it's, it's exciting, you know, it's fresh. It's like, man, what's going on? Right? And then now we see that the Lord going to give him a third prophetic vision now in chapter 9. And so chapter 9 starts off by saying, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans and in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the, books, by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem so let's stop right there so he starts off by saying in the first year of Darius the Mede and so we see that that again here's Daniel now serving under king under the king of the Medo-Persians right and definitely God's hand was upon this man Daniel I mean he had served under Nebuchadnezzar he had served under all the Babylonian kings after Nebuchadnezzar uh, and, and he's been preserved uh, you know, whether he was in a position of authority or just, man, he's kept alive. I mean, we don't hear of his friends anymore, you know, but we hear of Daniel. And definitely, you know, the Lord used him in, 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 in all these empires, you know. And ultimately, he was preserving his life. Why? Because he was still going to use him, man. Up until his last breath, he was going still going to use him. And so we see that God has preserved him. And so now he's he's in the first year of the of, of King Darius, the king of the Medes, who, who took over uh, Belshazzar. And so... And we see that it's in the the first year of his reign. He says, I understood by the books. Now, what was Daniel reading? Right? Did he take out his Bible? Did he take out, you know, one of those did he go to the library, check out a book, read and see, all right, what is God trying to tell me through this book? You know, uh interesting that this word for books actually means scrolls. And so he's saying in the first year of his reign, I Daniel understood by the scrolls, the number of the years. Right? They didn't have books back then. Back then everything was written on, on papyrus paper, you know, and it was a uh, and so it was written down papyrus. It was rolled up into a little scroll. And they would have to carry around these little scrolls everywhere they went. Every time they wanted to read to read any of the prophecies. Uh, keep in mind that back then, you know, they didn't have these chapter and verse divisions. So it was one whole scroll, you know, like the the scroll of Isaiah, the scroll of Jeremiah. It was one whole scroll. It didn't have... These, these chapter and breaks. Even the first five books of the Bible, which we know as the Pentateuch and Hebrew, the Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were just one huge scroll. So if you wanted to to, to read through, through through the book of Exodus, you had to find it within the scroll. You know, so typically they would read the whole scroll all at once. And so here's Daniel now. He's saying that he was, re- that he was reading uh, and he understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. Now this is, Interesting, why? Because Daniel was reading the writings of Jeremiah, who was still alive, and yet he was saying it was the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. And, and, and so Daniel is reading the the, the words of Jeremiah in a scroll, and he's saying it was the word of the Lord. And so we see that that Daniel is recognizing, you know, the the inspiration of God's word through this uh, this prophet Jeremiah, right? And so. Keep in mind that when the Babylonians came into the city of Jerusalem And took captives and destroyed the city They left farmers, we're told In the book of Daniel, that they left farmers And they left all the poor people They only took the the prominent men and women They took the the royal ones of the royal lineage They took all the ones who who could work Who were were capable to to, to sustain themselves To bring in income into, into the empire Who were pretty much, you know, useful And they left behind all the poor people And all the farmers to tend the land And so, along with all those guys who were left behind Pretty much like all the useless guys who were left behind was Jeremiah the prophet. And so while Jeremiah was was, was still in, in Judah and Jerusalem, the city was destroyed, the temple was destroyed. But yet Jeremiah was still hearing from the Lord and he was giving word to to, to the people of Israel as they were in, in the Babylonian captivity. And so Daniel uh, was, was getting Jeremiah's words. If you ever get a chance to, to read through the book of Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah is an interesting prophet because... Uh, throughout his whole ministry, you know, he never had one convert. You know, he was just faithfully preaching the word of God. You know, it's like man, they, for for years, you know, his whole lifetime, God, had, God called him to preach repentance. He called him to to preach to the, to the people of Israel while they were in captivity, and he didn't have not one convert. Right? It, it, he got to the point where he was so discouraged that he said, I say, Lord, I'm not going to say anything anymore. You tell me, you give me your word, Lord. I'm not going to go out there and say, the, the, word of the, 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 the word of the Lord came to me and said this. He said, Lord, I'm not going to say anything. Your people are just, they're hardened. They're they're hard-hearted. You know, they're hard-headed. They don't want to hear them. They're not going to listen. They're not, you know, it's not having an effect. He says, I'm not going to say anything. And so he he, he said, you know what, Lord, I, again, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to preach your word anymore. He kind of does this. And then later on, we write, we see that he writes, and he says, "Man, he says, I try to, I, says, I try to be quiet. He says, I try to not speak for the Lord, you know. But, but God spoke to me. He says, and His word was was in me, burning inside my bones. He was, he's like, it was like a fiery flame within my bones, and I couldn't keep quiet. I had to say the word of the Lord. I had to go out there and preach His word. So we see that that that, that, that didn't last long, right? He, he had to go out there and preach God's word. He was a faithful, faithful prophet, faithful servant, you know. Even though he didn't have any converts, right? And so." as he was there in Jerusalem still you know again he was hearing from the from the word of the Lord he was hearing from the Lord he was writing these things down and he was saying the word of the Lord to, to Babylon to all the captives right and so and as they were there you know they would have his word as long as, as well as Zechariah uh, um, Habakkuk's, you know, there was there was there was other there was other prophets, you know, who, who lived at the, at the same time of Daniel and Jeremiah, who heard from the Lord. They sent the word down to the captives in order to strengthen them, to encourage them, right? And so we see that, that that Daniel, he says that he's in captivity there, and all of a sudden he's he's hearing, he's reading the word of the Lord uh, as it came to Jeremiah the prophet, right? And it says that as he's reading that, he understands that that, that the Lord had had them in captivity for seventy years, and that those seventy years were almost up. Interesting that we could go to the, to the very exact writing that he was probably reading. And it says there in Jeremiah twenty five eleven, which is probably what, what, what Daniel was reading. It says this, in Jeremiah speaking now, he says, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall, shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass, when 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation the land of the chaldeans for their iniquity says the lord and i will make it a perpetual desolation so i will bring on that land all my word all my words which i have pronounced against it all that is written in this book which jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations and then jeremiah 29 10 says for thus says the lord after 70 years are completed at babylon i will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place and so here is Jeremiah in Jerusalem. He's here he's receiving the word of the, the word of the Lord and God tells him, Look, man, it's only be seventy years. For seventy years, I'm gonna punish my people. You may ask yourself, why seventy years? Well, God had God had given the nation of Israel instructions when he brought them out of Egypt you know, as, as as they were as they were wandering the wilderness and eventually they came to the promised land, God gave them instructions through Moses. You can find it there in the book of, Le- of Leviticus. And he gave them specific instructions concerning the land th- that they were to inhabit. And God told them, when you guys inhabit the land, he says, every seventh year, he says, you're going to work the field, work the crops, I'm going to bless you. He says, but every seventh year, you're not going to work the crops. He said, you're not going to work the land. Just You're going to give the land its Sabbath rest, right? So every Sabbath, every seventh year, you're going to just let it rest. Don't work it. Don't do anything. Don't don't plant. Don't seed. Don't water. It, just let it be. He says, but don't worry. The sixth year I'm gonna give you double crops to make up for that seventh year, so you don't have to work at all. That seventh year, just let it rest. That's amazing, man. The Lord would tell me, Hey, don't worry. Work for six years. On the seventh year, don't work. In the sixth year, I'm I'm gonna you're, I'm gonna double your income so that you don't have to work seven years. I'm like, Dude, I'll take it. That's what I say now, right? And so the, the nation of Israel, that was their instruction. When you come into the to, to the promised land, don't work that seventh year. Let it rest for seven years. And so the nation of Israel went. Uh, about 490 years without without giving the, the the land its rest right and so what God is doing is that is that he's he's giving the land it's it's due rest right 490 years divided by 70 years uh equals 70 and so he's saying, all right, man. He says, I'm going to leave. I mean, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years so that the, re- so that, so that the land can receive that rest that, 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 that I ordered for it, to, for it to receive. Right. And so, so they're in there for 70 years. All of a sudden, you know, Jeremiah lets the people know. And Daniel hears the word of Jeremiah. He reads it. And he says, oh, man. He says, those 70 years are almost up. It's like right around the corner. So for him, I mean, you could imagine how excited he was, right? He was taken into Babylon as a teenager. He left his, 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 his household behind, his nation, his culture, his country, right? His customs. He saw the, 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 the city destroyed. He saw the, 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 the temple destroyed. He saw all these people taken into captivity. And so he longed for, 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 his, for his city, man. He longed for land, for his land. He wants to be back in his own land, his own homeland. And so he's realizing, man, the days are almost up. You could just imagine he was filled with excitement, Right? So this is amazing. Daniel's taking the words of Jeremiah the prophet as inspired scripture. He knows, man, God is speaking to Jeremiah and God's words are true. Jeremiah's words are true because they are the Lord's. And so Daniel takes uh, the words of Jeremiah as inspired scripture. And he's going to see it pass right before his eyes. I love what the Bible tells us in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. In the very first chapter, very first verse, Hebrews one through 1-2 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the Father's, Speaking about all the other nation of Israel, he says, By the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. I love that verse, right? Because the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, man, God, who, you know, back then he spoke to us through the prophets, now speaks to us through his son. And so that tells us that we don't need, you know, the office of, of a, of a, of a quote-unquote prophet. We don't need anybody to, to, hear from, to hear from God for us. I don't have to say, hey, bro, it, you know, pray and, and I'm seeking the Lord on this. You know, ask God what He wants me to do. Because we, as, as children of God, you know, as, as believers having the Holy Spirit and dwelling in us, we can have the Lord speak directly to us. You know, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, man, He used to speak to us through the prophets, through an intercessor, but now He speaks to us. Through His Son, Jesus Christ. And how do He speak to us? Through His Word. Through His Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Right? And so interesting that, that we could have God's guidance, God's leading, God's will, you know, revealed to us directly. Sometimes it's a little inclination in your heart. Sometimes as you're reading the scripture, God kind of confirms these. He says, yeah, you know what? I think this is what God is speaking to me today. Right? Sometimes it's, uh, sometimes the Lord will use someone else. Right? But 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 the Lord wants to speak to you through His Son. Right? We have that blessed promise. We have that blessed, uh, I would call it a privilege. You know, that we're going to come directly to God. We don't have to go through anybody else. You guys don't have to rely, rely on me to hear from the Lord. You could dig into the Word, seek God on your own, and God's going to speak to you. God's going to minister to you. I love that. I love that. And so, again, for us as New Testament believers, you know, we don't need a prophet to speak to us. You know, we, we, God speaks to us directly through His Son, you know, in His Word. And so as as, as Daniel is, is, is hearing this Word, he's reading this Word, he recognizes, man, God is speaking to Jeremiah. That 70 years is it's, it's almost up. Right? And, and so what does he do, man? He begins to pray, right? And so he hears, he reads that, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So Daniel understood that the time was near, 70 years was almost up and the judgment upon the people would be over. That's it, man. He I can imagine again how exciting he was. So verse three says, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed, to the Lord my God I made a confession and said O Lord God says O Lord great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and, and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments we have sinned and committed iniquity we have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments neither have we heeded your servants, The prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, and to all the people of the land, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. And it says, but to us, shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those near and those who are far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. So if I was Daniel, and I was there in captivity, and I realized that our time was almost up, God was going to take us back home. Right? The time for judgment was almost over. i have been packing my bags. All right, that's it. Time's up. Packing my bags. Letting everyone know. But not Daniel. What did he do, man? Instead, he hears this good news. And what did he do? He says that he begins to just pray, man. Pray and just, it, it, with a broken heart, with a broken spirit. He begins to pray. You know, it says that he prays with fasting, with sackcloth, and with ashes. Now, sackcloth was a specific garment. You know, it was considered the garment of mourning. And so culturally and traditionally, you know, the Jews, when whenever something devastating would happen to them, like a family member would die, something happened to their city, something personal, whatever. Whenever something devastating would happen to them, they would make a, a public show of it, you know, by, by dressing themselves in this, in this garment of, of mourning, you know, this sackcloth. And they would, they would dump uh, heaps of ashes upon themselves, right? So they would walk around praying, wailing, you know, and everybody would know, man... Pray for that guy, cause some, he's going through something. Something happened to him, right? Like he has the, the garment of mourning. He has the, he's he's clothed in sackcloth and he's covered in ashes. Something happened to him, you know. Pray, pray for him, whatever, right? And so, and so they would they would make it known by 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 clothing himself with sackcloth and 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 uh, and covering himself with ashes. Now, again, uh, we see now Daniel showing brokenness of heart as he realizes that the time is near for the judgment to be over. Man, he just covers himself in ashes. That sackcloth, he begins praying. We don't know exactly what time he started praying, but I can imagine he started praying from very early in the morning, right? We know that, 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 that Daniel was a, was a man of God. He was a man of the word. He was a man of prayer. And I no doubt believe that, that as soon as he woke up, man, he made it, uh, an effort to wake up early, see God. He realized, you know, that, that, those, that the time was near and he began just praying. And so we, we see Daniel's prayer, right? The beginning of it at least. And, and we see that Daniel made confession to God, Right? I know now in the church, you know, we're, we're, we hear that kind of thrown, out, thrown around a lot, you know, hey, you got to confess your sins, you got to confess your iniquities, you got to confess your, your shortcomings. Now, the, the Bible never tells us to go to, to a person and confess, you know, as far as you know, to be forgiven. The Bible encourages to seek a brother, seek a sister in the Lord, seek someone who you could trust, you know, and confess your sins to one another. Right, but it doesn't have to be a specific person. You guys don't have to come in up to me every Sunday or Wednesday and be like, hey Angel, I messed up and this and that. I'm like, and I'm right here just, you know, tallying up all your dirt, right? You don't have to you don't have to do that. Alright, and so we see that that as Daniel was confessing, he wasn't confessing to a person, but yet he or a priest he was confessing to God himself. And so he's confessing the sins of the whole nation to God. I love that about Daniel, because if you notice, he uses the, the word we. We Lord, we have sinned, Lord, we have rebelled, Lord, we messed up, Lord, we, 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 us. Daniel was like the most blameless guy, you know, out of all, those, out, out of all the people of the nation of Israel, out of, out, out of, out of all the people who, who were taken captive. Dude, Daniel could do no wrong, man. Daniel was, was, was innocent. He was, man, he was clean as a whistle, right? This guy was blameless. He was innocent. But yet, I love how he just, you know, he, he, he unites himself with the whole nation. He says, Lord, we sinned. Right, it, it was us, Lord. Lord, we didn't heed your servants. Lord, we did wickedly, we did wickedly against you, and so he he he, he himself with the whole nation, and, and he begins to to pray on behalf of the whole nation. He says, "Lord, we messed up, right?" And so we we'll see that that Daniel is probably the, again the most blameless person yet. He takes a, the the sins of the whole people. He says, "Lord, we messed up." He's coming on behalf of all the people. I love that about Daniel, man. It tells me a lot about his prayer life. It tells me a lot about the person who he was. You know that he didn't help hold the other people accountable. He could have, he wanted to, Lord it was our ancestors who, who didn't give the land rest. It's all their fault, Lord. And then when we came up here, Lord, everyone else bowed to bow to Nebuchadnezzar. I didn't, Lord. And and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we didn't, Lord. Everyone else did. Everyone else forgot you, Lord. Everyone else ate of the king's delicacies, Lord. I didn't. We didn't. You could have done that. You could have started just throwing, throwing the blame on everyone else, started throwing everyone in the bus, but he didn't, man. That tells me a lot about his heart. You know, I want to have that heart. Lord, I'm going to just be blameless, Lord, before you, right? And so... Again we see that he considers himself as the rest of the people, you know, and he prays to the Lord. He's just showing true humility before the Lord. And he goes on to say in verse 8, it says, His his prayer continued. He says, Oh Lord, to us belong shame of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in all his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes. All Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which He does, though we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and, and made Yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. And so we see Daniel's continued prayer. We see that this is just again this this is just what we have recorded for us. I mean, you remember a couple of chapters ago as he's giving us the the, the 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 description of that prophecy, he says it. He says, and I wrote down you know the just the main parts. And so I can imagine in his prayer, right, he just including like the main parts. And so this is just what we have recorded for us. You know, but I'm sure Daniel spent a lot of time in prayer in this condition of mourning, this condition of brokenness, you know, the, of anguish of heart. You know, this uh, clothing sackcloth, the ashes. He's probably spent all day, you know, just coming before the Lord, Lord, just broken hearted. Right, and so we see that he's coming to God, recognizing that even though God promised that the time uh, was seventy years, he's like, "Lord, you don't know us anything. Lord, you said that it was only going to be for seventy years, your judgment. But you know, we've we've done wickedly against you, we've sinned against you, and you could do whatever you want, Lord. You you don't have to hold your seventy years, you know, to us, or you could do whatever you want. And so he's recognizing, Lord, even though he, you promised seventy years, you don't owe us anything, right? And so we see that Daniel recognizes that God is sovereign, you know, and that they don't deserve his mercy. And so he continues to pour, just pour out his heart in prayer. I love uh, what, what Leonard Ravenhill uh, said, you know, I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's an old old preacher, hardcore. court. I've got a lot of his sermons on, on YouTube and stuff, you know, but and this, the old preacher, Leonard Ravenhill, he said this. He says, the self-sufficient do not pray. The self-satisfied will not pray. And the self-righteous cannot pray. Right Self 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 You know so what that phrase has in mind Self 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 The self sufficient do not pray Right Because I don't think I need God I'm sufficient on my own The self satisfied Will not pray Hey man I'm, probably, I'm satisfied with my life You know the way it's going I don't think I You know I even need anything else from God He says and the self righteous Cannot pray Why because they think they're all that you Now, when We see Daniel man He's praying on behalf of the whole nation He says Lord He says our nation We, we haven't even came up to you And repented so, so he's taking the position of the whole nation. He says, Lord, I'm, I'm praying for the whole nation. I'm taking the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm their intercessor. I'm coming on behalf of the whole nation. Lord, forgive us. We've all sinned against you. We all, we've all messed up, right? And so, um, again, he, he comes on behalf of the whole nation. I, I like what Isaiah says in Isaiah 62, 66, two, he says, But on this one, God speaking, he says, But on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Man, you wanna know what's pleasing to the Father? You wanna know what what, what 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 God delights himself in? You wanna know what, what God loves? You know you wanna know you know what gets God's attention? This right here, Isaiah sixty six two, he says, But on this one I will look. Bless you. On this one I will look. He says, On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, I meaning like of a broken spirit, right? A burdened spirit and who trembles at my word. You wanna get his attention? Man. Be poor. You know and poor means like I mean Recognizing and look, I don't don't have anything, right? Not financially, but i mean, poor as as in your own righteousness. Lord, I'm nothing. I have nothing. I have no basis to come to you by. Be contrite in spirit, you know, be brokenhearted for his people, for your sin, for for, the things you see around you, right? He says, and who trembles at my word. That's Daniel right there, all the way. And it goes on to say in verse 16, again, his prayer says, O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray. Let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, by your holy mountains. Because for our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercies. And then he says, Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay on your for your own sake, my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. So we see that, that and now we, Daniel prays on the basis of God's goodness. He doesn't say, "Lord, come on, I've been so good all these all these 70 years. Lord, I've been you know such a good witness, such a faithful witness. You know, I I I never I never fainted, never never fell, never stumbled. Your word, I you know I, I told everyone about you. I've been a good testimony. No, he doesn't come on the basis of his own righteousness, even though he, you know, he maybe could, right? Because he's such a blameless dude. But he doesn't. Instead, he comes to God on the basis of God's. Goodness, So he says, Lord, not because we're righteous, but because you're righteous, because you're good, right? Now, when praying and making petitions to the Lord, you know, that's, I mean, that's good to, That's good ground to stand on. Lord, I come to you, not because of who I am, Lord, but because of who you are, Lord. You know, and sometimes I pray like that, my like, Lord, for your name's sake, Lord, for, for that, so you can be glorified, right? Just use me, use this, do that, do that, Lord, for your name's sake. Alright, that's that's good grounds to stand on, All right Lord, for your sake, for your goodness sake, for your mercy sake, for your, Lord, for, for for your name's sake. And so that's the, the, the ground that that, that that Daniel's standing on, and that's the basis that he's coming to God on. Lord, for your sake, not for my sake, but for your sake. Man, God's gonna the Bible says that God that God holds his word above his name. So that's a good basis to come to God on, right? And so he goes on to say, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see. So as he's praying to God, you know, he's just man. He's trying to relate to God in the best terms that he could in his own human understanding. He says, "Lord, incline your ear and hear; open your eyes and see." Not that God has ears, not that God has eyes, not that God has hands and, and feet and arms and and, and 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 a body, right? The Bible tells that God is spirit. That's what what Jesus said there in John chapter four. As he, as he's as the disciples come to him, you know, well, he's talking to to that woman at Samaria uh, there in John chapter four or three. And as he's talking to this woman at Samaria, at at the well, and she goes on to say, well, our fathers worshiped worshiped here at this well, but your fathers say that Jerusalem is a place to worship God. And what did Jesus say? His answer to her is, look, I tell you the truth. Certainly the time is coming where neither here in this mountain or in Jerusalem are people going to worship God. He says, but the time is coming where people are going to worship God in spirit and in truth. He says, for God is spirit, you know, and those who desire to worship him must worship in spirit and in truth, so it's not that God has arms and hands and ears and eyes and all these things, and a mouth and all these things. But what Daniel is using and what we're reading here is, is called uh, anthropomorphism, right? Which means using human terms to describe God. Like, for example, you know, in the book of Genesis, when the, when the Bible says that God made us in His own image, it doesn't mean that God made us, you know, just like Him, uh, with, with you know, ears and eyes and all these things, no. But in it, His likeness, meaning, you know, that just how God can love. We can God. We can love to an extent. Just how God can extend mercy, we can extend mercy to an extent. Just how God can be compassionate and all these things, we can be all those things to an extent, right? And so, within the study of God, within theology, there's there, there's a there's a way to describe God. We would, we would say uh, um, characteristics, but when it comes to God, they're called attributes, right? And God has certain attributes that that there's two separate attributes. Ones are ones that are called incommunicable. Incommunicable attributes, which mean that there are things that are just specific to God, like almighty, omniscient, omnipresent. These things that we can't be, even though we're created in the image of God, right? We can't be in all places at once. We can't be all-knowing, even though, you know, we had knowledge. Our our knowledge is limited. You know, we can't be uh, um, sovereign, right? Because only God is sovereign. He knows all things, you know, and, and, and why He does those things. And then there's uh, the second group of attributes, which are called the communicable attributes of God, you know, which means that things that, 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 that we, just like God has, we could possess and we could exercise, but to a degree, right? Mercy, love, uh, compassion, um, all these other things. And so as, as Daniel's praying to God, he says, Lord, incline your ear, right? And, and hear and open your eyes and see our desolations, right? So it's not that God has eyes and ears, but he's using, you know, just anthropomorphism. That's what we would call it. You know, so pay attention to that whenever you see the, whenever, whenever you're reading the Bible, because... So many false doctrines have, have, have came out You know from this I'll give you an example For the you know, for, for example the Mormons you know, the Mormons Believe that God Is like us Right and, and their whole doctrine Their belief Is that God was once a man He came onto this earth You know he passed The righteous test You know he He, he, he was able to live Life you know And pass the, the Life test And as a result As when he died He, he became exalted to the, to the place of God You know And now he has Many different wives And, and they say this they, they say As he was We are as he is, we will be. They have the saying, as he was, we are, as he is, we will be. That's what they say, right? Because they believe that, that, that us two here on earth, we could pass a test if you're a good Mormon, you know, and then uh, when you die, you become your own God and, 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 you know, and, and you possess your own planet, and all these things, all kinds of crazy things. But it stems from, 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 uh, from verbiage like this, where they say, oh, God was a man, look, it says that he has hands. God was a man, look, it says that he has eyes. Oh, God was a man, look, it says that he has ears. You know, so God was like us. Right, it's poor, you know, study of the scriptures. It's poor interpretation of the scriptures. But yet, man, so many people get tripped up on this. So don't let anybody ever trip you up on this, right? If that was the case, then there's a psalm that says that that God hides us under the shadow of His wings, you know. And if and if that was taken literally, that means that God's a chicken. You know, God's a big bird, right? That's why I told Mormons as, as I'm talking to this, um, as I'm talking to them on the street or whatever, say, hey, man, no, God's not a man. He was a chicken. Look, it says that He hides us under His wings. So all that is just to make the point that look, when it when He uses Words like this to describe God, again, it's, this is Daniel trying to, to 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 speak to God, trying to relate to God, and his, his, his limited, finite understanding, right? And so he says, Lord, hear, because it feels like God doesn't hear him. He says, Lord, see, because it feels like God's not seeing him, right? And so, as he continues to pray to God, right, he says, Lord, hear us, Lord, see us. He's getting to just this place of desperation in his prayers. Lord, just please, Lord, answer me, right? He's been praying all day now. And so now it says this in verse 20. It says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin to God, he says, And the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. You know, so now that tells us that that he'd been praying all all day because now it's the time of the evening offering. He says, and he informed me and talked with me. He says, and said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill and understand. As to skill, skill to understand. He says, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Let's stop right there. And so we see that, that Daniel gets a response after all that time of prayer. You know, after all that time would have just pouring out his heart before the Lord. He gets a response. And... Once again, you know we see the angel Gabriel has come, has been sent to minister to Daniel. And Daniel was a special individual, you know, because again, you know, God sends the angel Gabriel to to, to go and tell Daniel the, the this vision, right? And so Gabriel's a, a he's only mentioned here speaking to Daniel and speaking to 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 the father of John the Baptist, you know. So he's like God's messenger. And so we see that once again, the angel Gabriel has been sent to minister to Daniel and to give him the understanding of things that are going to come. And now, uh, notice what Daniel says. He says. That, that that Gabriel was saying, he says, being caused to fly swiftly. Now, this is uh, one of the few places in the Bible, you know, where it tells us that angels can fly. You ever wonder where we get that that notion, right? Hey, can angels fly? Do they just appear magically wherever, you know? But the Bible actually tells us that angels fly. And so this is one of, I believe, two or just a couple a couple of, of, of instances where the Bible tells us that angels can fly. The book of Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter 6, uh, also tells us that it says this. Isaiah 6, 1, 2, says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. And then he says, Above it stood seraphim, which is a type of angels. The word seraphim means burning ones. And so this is a specific type of angels. The Bible tells us that, that there's types of angels. There's uh, We know of archangels, which is Michael Gable there, archangels. We know seraphim, which are mentioned in Isaiah chapter 6. The word seraphim, again, means burning ones, burning and shining ones. And so Isaiah... He sees this vision of the Lord's throne. He says, "I saw, I saw the Lord is then above His throne. I saw seraphim. It says, and each one of those seraphim had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. So that's another instance that tells us about angels flying, right? And specific angels, seraphim. And then notice what it says there in verse 23. He says, at the beginning, Gabriel, and the angel Gabriel speaking now he says, at the beginning of your supplication, the command went out. Man, that's heavy." Daniel's been praying all day, and Gabriel says, Hey man, as soon as you started praying, the command went out to go to go to go minister to you. As soon as you as soon as you said the first word, as soon as you even thought it, as soon as you began praying, the, the command went out to go and give you this, this prophecy, give you this vision, give you this understanding. Right? As soon as you started praying, the command went out for me to go and give you an answer. Now, keep in mind that this is now evening time. You know, it's time of the evening sacrifice. So Daniel's been praying all morning and all night. I'm sure he got up early, started praying, started seeking the Lord, right? I mean, he probably skipped breakfast. Um, I mean, but I just imagine this. What if Daniel would have stopped, you know, at breakfast time? Or what if he would have stopped at noontime? What if he would have stopped, you know, when he got sleepy? What if he would have stopped? All right, it's been four hours, six hours, eight hours. You know, I'm not hearing anything from God. That's it. You know, maybe God doesn't want to answer me today. I'll, I'll, you know, just I'll close it up. I'll close up shop and I'll pray to it some other time. Man, what if Daniel would have stopped five minutes before before Gabriel shows up? I love that. Because that, that teaches us perseverance through prayer. Right? Sometimes we pray for things and, and it seems that like we've been praying for years. Right? For years and, and nothing's happening. And, 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 and I don't know exactly why, you know, some of our prayers are delayed. I know that all has to do with God's sovereignty. He knows, you know, why and how and at what time He's going to answer our prayers and in what manner. But for Daniel, man, it says that as soon as he started praying... God gave a command for the angel to go and give him the answer. Now, Daniel didn't, didn't receive the answer right away, but you know, he kept on praying. He persevered in prayer. Again, imagine if he would have stopped 10 minutes before. He would have never received this vision. Right? So that ministers to us, that minister that speaks to us about, just again, perseverance through prayer, man. How many times do we give up on prayer because we can't see anything happening? right? It's like if we would perse- persevere a little longer. And so my encouragement is, if you've been seeking, Lord, about something for a while now, hey, keep praying, keep seeking, keep knocking. Right? What did Jesus say? Hey, you have not because you asked not. My like, Lord, I've been asking for a long time now. <laughs> keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. Right? That's what Jesus says. Now we see that Daniel is about to receive another vision as a response to his prayer. So all this all this vision that we're about to read is, that, is a response to Daniel's prayer, you know, uh, his all morning and all evening prayer. And so here's the vision he's going to receive. Verse 24. First so of all, verse 34 says, 70 weeks, this is in the angel Gabriel speaking now, he says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. He says, to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And verse 25 says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Let's stop right there. And so we see that Daniel receives a vision or he receives a prophecy uh, of seventy weeks. And now the angel Gabriel informs Daniel that, the, that his people and his city are about to go through some events in the course of seventy weeks. And he gives them a time period and he gives them a people and a place. Your people which is the nation of Israel and a place, which is uh, Jerusalem, is in a, in a time period, which is 70 weeks, you know? And so this, this prophecy specifically, you know, it, it, it's unique to the Jewish people. And so uh, we see that his people in his city refer to the nation of Israel, the city to Jerusalem, right? And interesting that, that the Hebrew word, because now we're back to Hebrew. I, I don't know if you guys remember, but a few weeks ago, I mentioned how uh, Daniel, he started off writing in Hebrew. Then he can, then he, then uh, halfway, he started writing, he starts writing in Aramaic. By this point, now he's back to writing in Hebrew. And so the original the, the original word for, for, for weeks in Hebrew literally means sevens. And so the angel Gabriel is telling him, 70 sevens are you And so he's saying it's 70 periods of sevens, right? So this is actually 70 sets of seven years, which equal to 490, right? 70 times 7 times 7 is 49, carry 40 the zero, 490. And so, so the angel Gabriel is giving him a, a, a time period of 490 years. He says... 70 weeks or 77s, 70 periods of seven years are determined for your people and for your holy city, right? And so we're told that during those 70 weeks, you know, Gabriel informs Daniel that six things will happen. What are those six things? Look at verse 24, it says, one, to finish the transgression, two, to make an end of sins, three, to make reconciliation for iniquity, four, to bring everlasting righteousness, five, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and six, to anoint the most holy, so during those 70 weeks, these six six things are going to happen, right? Now, the first three, the first three of those six things, we can say that have already happened, you know, through Jesus Christ as he was, you know, uh, 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 crucified and he resurrected, you know, the first three of those those things have have already happened, you know, through Jesus and through the sacrifice on the cross and he's he's finished the transgression, you know, transgression means, um, the Bible speaks about sins and it speaks about transgressions sin is a is a you know a non willful disobedience you know, sin—the the, the original word for for the for the, the the root word for the word sin means you know it's it, it it's it's talking about archery and it literally means you know an, an archer shooting for aiming for the for the target you know and, and and he shoots for the target he's aiming for the for the center for the center dot and he misses it by by a little that's what a sin is you know and by definition it's like you're trying to do good you know God's putting your heart morality you're trying to live right but you just come up short and so the definition of sin is coming up short right aiming towards the target but coming up short. Now, a transgression is different because a transgression is a willful disobedience. It's a willful sin. And so, if sin is aiming towards a target and just coming up short, transgression is, is doing this: closing your eyes, looking at the way, Just going boop, boop, boop. Right? You're, you're, you're intentionally trying to miss a mark. That's a transgression. And so, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, you know, it says, now he has, he has, he has put a finish to transgressions, right? He has, he has put an end to transgressions, not to sins. You know the the unwillful ones and to and to even the willful sins jesus while he was on the cross his last words on the cross there was there's seven saints of jesus on the cross but his last words on the cross were it is finished it is finished meaning hey man the the the, the debt for sin has been paid you know the, the 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 debt for your transgression for your sin for the whole world it's been paid for right it's done it's forgiven and so we see that that uh through his sacrifice on the cross, you know, he's He's made an end of sins in the individual, not in the world, because obviously we live in a super sinful world, and that's why all these things are happening around the world, right? Because we live in a sinful world. But if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, accepted Him, you know, accepted the, the, the sacrifice that he, that he made on the cross for you, taking it for your, for yourself, for your own, then in yourself, you know, God sees you as sinless. We're still sinful in our human nature, but God sees you as sinless. So I could die right now, and even though I'm a sinful pig, you know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to be face-to-face with God. He's going to see me not for my unrighteousness, but for the righteousness of Christ, who never sinned, right? And the third thing to make re- reconciliation for iniquity, right? And, through, and so through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, now He's reconciled us to the Father. Who, when we had a broken relationship with God the Father because of sin, now Jesus, through His sacrifice, has reconciled us. But the last three things still haven't happened as we see them, right? We don't see that, that there's everlasting righteousness reigning here on earth. Right? I mean if anything is everlasting wickedness uh, We see that vision And prophecy Have not been sealed up You know There's, there, there's still things that, that according to prophecy That need to be fulfilled And, and we see that, that it says the last one And to anoint the most holy uh, We see that, that God hasn't That Jesus has been Anointed as king uh, I mean over the whole earth And, and, and heaven yet. Yeah, we know that he is already But I mean Satan is still running rampant He's still having his way and so those three things Haven't happened They're still You know They're for a later time And so The question is When will these 70 weeks Begin Is it From the time that Gabriel gave Daniel this prophecy Is like Alright Daniel Look as Starting right now As I'm speaking to you The, the, the 70 weeks Are going to begin Was it Was it afterwards Was it after After Daniel died When was it Right Was it when, when, when Alexander the Great Came in And took over The next kingdom When was it So we see that That the angel Gabriel gives Daniel A starting point For these 70 weeks And here's the starting point there in verse 25. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. So that's the starting point. From the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah Prince. That's an ending point. He says, There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Which 62 plus 7 is 69. Right? The whole vision is about 70 weeks. He says 69 of those weeks are going to be fulfilled from the time that a command goes out to rebuild the city of Jerusalem until Messiah Prince shows up. He says that's going to make up 69 of those weeks. And so we see that, that uh, again, that, that, that there's going to be a specific you know, command to build and restore Jerusalem. So the question is, when did the command go out to rebuild and restore Jerusalem? Now keep in mind that at this point, you know, the, the city's in ruins. It's been in ruins for, for years. Right, when when Nebuchadnezzar took the, the, the went on, on his last siege and, and took the last the, the third wave of, of captives, dude, he left the city in ruins. He he burned the city, burned the temple, burned people burned down people's houses. It's just rubble. It's rubbish. Right? There's nothing there but just but just stones. Right? So it's it's complete desolation. So at this point the city is completely destroyed. And so the angel of it tells us that there's a specific time in history when, when the command came went out to restore and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Now, there had to be a specific point in history, right? Otherwise, this prophecy means nothing. But if there was a specific point in history where a command came out, went out to, to rebuild the city, then this means everything. And so, there, we have, within the Old Testament, we have two books called the, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. Uh, There were originally one book, you know, but afterwards when when they, when, uh, afterwards they were separated into two. Um, Ezra, Ezra was given the the, the task of of rebuilding the temple. While Nehemiah was given the task of rebuilding the city. Right? So you can read that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. They're short books, five, six chapters each. Awesome books. Now, it tells us right there in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 2 verses 1-3. I'm going to read it for you. And so Nehemiah as you know some years later it says and it came to pass in the month of nicene in the 20th year of king artaxerxes when wine was before him that i took the wine and gave it to the king now i had never been sad in his presence before therefore the king said to me why is your face sad since you are not sick this is nothing, nothing but sorrow of heart So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Right? And says, and so it goes on saying to say in verse six. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber, wood. To make beams for the gates of the the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So sometime later, here's this, 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 this man by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was born in captivity, he had never been to Jerusalem, he had never been to Judah, and all of a sudden in, in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1, chapter 1 tells us that all of a sudden uh, this messenger came to Nehemiah, and he tells him, hey man, have you heard what's going on over there in Judah and Jerusalem? He's like, no, what? He had never been there, You know, he was born in captivity, he had never even been to Jerusalem. And so the, the messenger goes on to tell him, man, look, the people are devastated. They're all poor. It's all bad over there, man. The, the city's in ruins. Everything's just, it's a heap of rocks. You know, everything's uh, you know, been destroyed. And as he's telling Jeremiah, I mean, as he's telling Nehemiah, you know, of all things in the city, Nehemiah be- begins to get heartbroken for his city, man, even though he had never been there. And so that's when he begins to pray. He says, Lord, you know, man, the city, the people, Lord, what do I do? He begins to pray. And then that's when the king notices that, 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 that he was, you know, sorrowful. Nehemiah was, in the, was had the title of uh, of uh, cupbearer, so he was the king's cupbearer. Meaning that whenever you know the king was about to, to drink at a feast or at dinner or whatever, uh, Nehemiah had to take the first sip just in case you know a rival guy would put poison in the drink or whatever. Nehemiah was the guy to I'll take the first shot, and if the king says, he sees that Nehemiah is all right, you know he's not throwing a third arm or or convulsing on the floor or foam coming out of his mouth. He's like, all right, cool. It's good to drink. It's not poison. It's not tainted. And then the king drinks it. So keep in mind that the king would trust Nehemiah with his life, literally. Right? And so he loves this guy. He's become really close to him. And all of a sudden, he sees Nehemiah just uh, sorrowful and heart. Nehemiah's there just before the king. You know, and he's just, obviously, you know, he just, he was so heartbroken for the city that it was noticeable in his face. The king says, what's wrong with you? Nehemiah says, hey, man, I just heard that, you know, the city's in ruins. My people are just devastated. How can I not be sad? And then the king says, all right, well, what do you want me to do about it? Well, just... Give me permission to go over there and 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 to start a building project and start rebuilding the city. The king says, "All right, man. How uh, how much time do you need? I need this time to this time. All right. What else do you need?" The book of Nehemiah tells us that the king even supplied him with money to fund his, his building project. That's amazing. We know that this is of God. And so, Gabriel was saying back to Daniel, Gabriel was saying that from the time you know that 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 this command by King Artaxerxes went out, that they could so as soon as that command went out they could begin counting the days they could begin counting the years uh, they could begin the 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 the, the 70 weeks time clock so to say right and so there the, so from the time that 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 came out that that command went out you know we could begin the the, the countdown of the seven weeks plus 62 weeks which may which makes 69 weeks you know but talking about years you know it's so it's 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 actually uh 483 years now keep in mind that the Jews They didn't have They're not using A, 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 a calendar like ours We go based off Of a 365 day calendar The Jews In Nehemiah's time I mean in, in Daniel's time Used a 360 day calendar Right And so From the time That the King Artaxerxes Gave the command For the city to be rebuilt To Nehemiah You know Counting uh, six, uh, Counting 69 weeks or, or 69 years In the 360 year time period That will make so sixty-nine years, because I mean sixty-nine weeks, because every week is, is, is seven weeks, then that would amount to four hundred eighty-three years. Four hundred eighty-three years broken down by 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 a uh, uh, three hundred sixty days equals one hundred seventy-three thousand eight hundred eighty days. All right. So those sixty-nine weeks or those you know four hundred eighty-three years broken down in days equals one hundred seventy-three thousand eight hundred eighty-three days from the com- from the time that the command went out to restore the city. He says. Until Messiah Prince Until the Messiah comes So what does that mean? That means that That, that the Jew reading this You know in, in Daniel's time And in Nehemiah's time As soon as They had these scriptures As soon as they saw The commandment went out They could have started Counting the days Alright, alright Cool, alright obviously They're not going to live that long So they're going to pass it on to their, to their kids To their grandkids Alright, look We're on day Day three hundred, all right, boom. All right, we're on day, you know, one hundred fifty thousand, all right, boom. Hey, we're on day one hundred seventy-two thousand eight hundred. All right, now we're at the day before one hundred seventy-three thousand eight hundred and seventy-nine. All right, they could have counted down to the very t- to the very day when Messiah was going to show up, Jesus Christ, when Jesus was going to show up. Now, there's a there's a book written by by this author. His name is Sir Andrew Sir Andrew Robertson or Sir Andrew Sir Andrew, Sir Robert Anderson, he writes this book called The Coming Prince. And this guy does a really good job, you know, at, at breaking down the years. He goes down to the Julian calendar, calendar the lunar calendar, things that, that's like way above my, my head, obviously, you know. Um, and so this guy does all the hard work, you know, and he breaks down the years, looks at the calendars, looks at the times, uh, pulls up, you know, uh, uh, information from, 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 the, from the encyclopedias, you know, about the kings, the exact date that, that they reigned. And so he does the work for us, and according to, to his work, this guy's a believer. I think he's even Jewish, but he's a Jewish Christian, I think. Don't quote me on that. But, but he, he's a believer for sure. And so he does all the work, and he begins counting down the days. And so he comes up to this conclusion. He comes up to the conclusion that, that you know, so according to his work, these 173,880 days from the command that, 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 that King Artaxerxes Jesus came out, something happened at the end of those days, just like the angel Gabriel prophesied to, to Daniel. Something happened. Now the date puts us on Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before Jesus was crucified. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, five days before Jesus was crucified, right? Which we would know as, as the triumphal entry. Luke and, uh, and the gospel of Luke in chapter 19 records the whole, the, whole, the whole story for us. And this is what Luke says. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but, but Luke 19, 37 and 40 says this. It says, Then as Jesus was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice, with all the mighty works, for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they began saying, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, the religious guys that hated Jesus, called to to Jesus from the crowd and they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said to them I tell you that If, if, if they don't say anything If they should keep quiet says The stones would immediately cry out Why did he say that? Right? A lot of times we hear these stories Or we even repeat them Or we quote them So what's going on? Jesus was already on the scene He had already you know, begun his ministry He had already been ministering For about three and a half years At this point Right? He was almost to the point Of his crucifixion So he had already been on the scene But up until this point if you're familiar with the Gospels, a lot of times we're we reading through the Gospels and Jesus performs a miracle. He heals a blind man or heals a leper or a paralytic or, or breathes a stone from the dead, right? And then immediately the people begin to praise Him and call Him Messiah this and that. And, and a lot of times we, we hear that Jesus tells them, right, he says just go your way you know don't 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 tell anybody about this just go go to the temple go with your family go this whatever he says but you know so up until this point Jesus had, had kind of uh, rejected this public declaration of him as Messiah he had only revealed it to certain people his disciples like to Peter for example you know as he's there with Peter he's walking with his disciples through through um, through Caesarea a Philippi and he says who do people say I am and some people say you're Elijah some people say you're and he says who do you say I am And Peter says, You're 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 the Christ. You're the Messiah, you're the Son of the Living God. And Jesus says to him, You know, Yeah, Peter, you're right, man. He says, says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And so up until this point, Jesus had only revealed himself as Messiah to certain individuals. But this day, as he was as he was going into into the city of Jerusalem, the Gospel of Luke tells us that he was riding on a colt, on a donkey that had never been ridden on. That's significant because King David you know King David I believe it's King Solomon as well as, as they were as they were being as they, as they were being declared kings and as they were being as they were walking into the city they, were, they came in riding on the on donkeys right and so for them culturally you know it's, it's symbolic of just of, of royalty right and, and of course Jesus being of the lineage of David and so Jesus as he's as he's as he's riding to the city on this donkey the people begin to shout man Hosanna you know Hosanna you know it, uh, it says blessed be, be, be God you know uh, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord so they're declaring Jesus as their king as their Messiah and the religious guys they tell Jesus hey, tell these guys to shut up man that's blasphemy they shouldn't be saying that and what did you say he said look man even, even if they stay quiet the rocks are going to cry out why because this day had been prophesied you know the history has been waiting uh, 173,880 days for this day to happen so it had to it had to happen no matter what he said man if they don't cry out somebody's going to cry out these rocks are going to cry out why because this has to happen it's been prophesied from the beginning of time right it's, it's, it's been the work it's been the making right and so we see that uh, that a nation the nation of Israel missed them as he came in riding on a donkey The day that they should have received him As his king As their messiah For the most part The nation of Israel rejected him Only a few were, were, were shouting out Hey Hosanna Blesses the king Who comes in the name of the Lord They're actually quoting a, a, What's known as a, as a messianic psalm You know so it's only a, It's only a, a few in the crowd that are, that are yelling this The rest of the nation as a whole They rejected him I mean he ended up getting crucified And uh, uh, betrayed Four days afterwards Right so the nation missed him The first time but we see that, that that this prophecy given to Daniel came true, and so it goes on to say from verse twenty six. He says, "And after those sixty two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off." He says, "But not for himself." Man, amazing, amazing, right? He tells them, "Hey, look, Messiah's going to come." Psh, all right, man, the day that all Israel's been waiting for. He says, "And then he's going to be cut off." What the? What's going on with that? What's up with that? Right? So for Israel, you know, this was a mystery to them. They couldn't understand how Messiah was going to be cut off, right? And so it goes on to say Messiah will be cut off But not for himself And the people of the prince Who is to come Shall destroy the city And the sanctuary The end of it shall be With a flood To the end of the war Desolations are determined Verse 27 Then he shall confirm A covenant With many for one week But in So that's, that's the last week Remember we were talking About 70 weeks Up until this point We've only talked about 69 But the last week Is going to be here It says Then he shall confirm A covenant with many For one week So that's the 70th week But in the middle of that week says, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the the desolate. What does that mean? I mean, we get so deep into this. And so Gabriel's telling him that after 62 weeks, he says, Messiah is going to be cut off, right? Now we see that this happened to Jesus, you know, immediately. I mean, five days later, Jesus was crucified, right? He came into the city, those... uh, uh, hundred three uh, those thousand days. Well, that that number I gave you, you know, finally it's, it's fulfilled. He comes to the city. Five days, five days later, he's crucified on that Friday afternoon. And so it says that Messiah is going to be cut off, but not for himself. That's prophetically speaking of Jesus of Jesus' crucifixion, right? Because we know that Jesus was crucified, but not for himself. Jesus didn't die because he was defeated. He didn't die because he gave up. He didn't die because all right, No, but he gave himself willingly. To be crucified, he gave him. He gave his body. He gave himself willingly to be beaten, to be bruised, to be mocked to be spit upon, to be hit, right, to be stricken, to be there, uh, put put on put on a on a display of shame on a cross, not for himself, but for us, right, to redeem us from sin and reconcile us. And so this prophecy of of, of Daniel giving to Daniel right that he that Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. It wasn't for himself. It was for us, dude. To think that. That, that this was prophesied That the Messiah was going to be cut off For us Really? For us? Man That 173,880 days You know God was planning this just for us Now take it even further To, to, the, to the beginning of time Right? That's what the Bible tells us That, 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 that since, since eternity Times past God had already planned this And God had you in mind From the very beginning of eternity That He was going to redeem you unto Himself He's going to call you son. He's going to call you daughter. From the very beginning of eternity. It's amazing. And so, then he goes on to say, he says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city in the sanctuary." So he says, after Messiah, after Messiah is cut off, he says, there's going to be a people. He says, the people of the prince who is to come. Now he's talking about the Antichrist here. Right? Now, Keep in mind. Notice the 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 the, the word how it's structured. He it says, "The people of the prince who is to come." So it doesn't say that the prince himself is gonna is gonna, do it, is gonna destroy the city and the sanctuary. He says, "The people of the prince who is to come." Now, again, he's saying they're gonna destroy the sanctuary. This actually happened in uh, AD seventy. You know, under the Roman general Titus. The well, Roman general Titus came in in AD seventy. The Jews had started a rebellion. Uh, uh, Titus came in with with his with his generals. You know, they were trying to preserve the the, the temple, the temple there at Jerusalem because it was gold plated. You know, one of his generals ended up getting drunk and he set fire to the temple. And because it was gold plated, uh, all the gold started just melting, melting off the walls. And so when the the fire was done, the the gold had had seeped into the cracks of the bricks. And so they had to just knock down and tear down the whole sanctuary, the whole temple in order to, 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 to extract the gold from the temple. And so this was this this came this happened in AD 70, right? That the people or the prince who is to come. Now that's symbolic of the revived Roman Empire. Remember, all throughout the Book of Daniel, through, as we're studying the prophecies, we know that the that, that the last empire, the empire of the Antichrist, is going to be a revived Roman Empire. Remember that, that that empire made of iron and that and the iron mixed with clay, right? So that tells us that that's part of the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire represents the iron. Right? And we see that, that It was never defeated So we see that the, It says the people Or the prince who is to come Meaning that they're going to be Of the same people Right The prince who is, who is to come Is going to be of the same people Who are going to destroy The city and the sanctuary Meaning the Romans in AD 70 Heavy Heavy And so Again uh, This is at a revived Roman Empire And then it says Then the prince comes Then the prince comes on the scene So first his people come on the scene And then the prince comes on the scene And it says so they're going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. It says, The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolation are, are determined. Verse 27 says, Then he shall come this, he shall confirm a, a, a covenant. Who? The prince. It's talked about the people of the prince. Now it talks about the prince, the antichrist. So then he's going to come on the scene and confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now, we see that the prince comes on the scene now. Um, this prince is talking, he's talking about as the antichrist. It says that he's going to confirm a covenant or a treaty or a promise. Or he's going to make a deal with them for for, for seven years. For one week. You know, one, one week is symbolic of of, set, of of a period of seven. Seven years. So he's going to make a deal with them for seven years. Right? Speaking about the seven year tribulation period. When the church is already going to be out, out of sight. Out of sight. Out of mind. Or it will be raptured. Taking up into heaven. All of a sudden the antichrist is going to come into scene. Into the scene where he's going to be a political power figure. He's going to be a, a political figure. Right, he's gonna be. He's gonna make a, a covenant, a treaty, a promise with the people, with all nations, for seven years. But halfway through those seven years, it tells us, It says, but in the middle of the week, which is three and a half, you know, well, because of its years, it's three and a half years. That's what the Bible tells in Revelation that during the seven-year tribulation period, it's gonna be at the halfway point where the Antichrist is gonna reveal himself. He's gonna go into the temple. He's gonna defile the temple. He's gonna ask. He's gonna demand that he be worshipped. Crazy. Crazy right And so we see that This part of the prophecy Hasn't happened yet Right But the previous verse Has And so we're living In what's known as The church age This one prophecy But yeah, we live like In the In the middle of the of, of the verses That's where we're at Right here The church age In the middle of those verses So it's like It's like this prophecy Has kind of just Taken a pause Right And, and this is something That that, that, that wasn't That wasn't uh, uh, Given to Daniel This was a mystery to Daniel This was actually a mystery To all the Jews um, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Ephesus right, and, and he and he he says something 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 uh, something interesting. You know, as he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says the mystery of the gospel. He says the mystery of the gospel, right, and then he he goes on to to describe what the mystery of the gospel is. The mystery of the kingdom of God, he says, and then he goes on to describe what it is. He says that mystery, and that word mystery actually means something that's been revealed up until now. Is that mystery? Is that the, the salvation of the Gentiles, which is, means us, the non-Jews? Keep in mind that, that these prophecies are all concerning the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. So it's like, all right, well, we're, we're, we're like, well, where do we fall in line with that? You know, does that mean that we're not included in this? You no, know, God had us in mind, right? We're in the church age, and so this was actually a mystery that was going to be revealed until later on, until until Acts chapter one, right, when Jesus resurrects and He's there with His disciples. Acts chapter one, He tells them, look. You to receive power when, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the world. All right? He goes on to tell his his, his disciples, hey "Amen." Uh, going to the whole world, you know, making disciples, sharing the gospel, um, baptizing them in, in them in the name of the Father, the Son, And the Holy Spirit. Right? The New Testament calls the the church the body of Christ, not the Jews, not the nation of Israel. He says the church is the body of Christ. Right? So here we are included in this prophecy as well, you know, in the end, in the end days. But for us. That second part of the prophecy It hasn't happened yet It's going to happen at the, in the 7 year tribulation period Which God's going to spare us from you know, So we're in between So it's exciting man It's exciting times that we're living in It's exciting you new know, prophecy to, to read about And um, all that I know it's we're like man so much prophecy So much things you know, So what does that tell us One for sure is that we could trust God's word Man if he had you in mind for salvation, if he had you in mind for, for, for these things to, have, to happen, you know, way ahead of time, that man, you could you could trust and believe his word, and you could be confident that God has you in mind for everything else, too. That hard day at work, that, 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 that trouble at work, that trouble at home, that trouble in your marriage, that trouble with your kids. Man, if God would be so detailed in all these other things, why wouldn't he be so detailed in your personal life? He is, man. That's an encouragement to me, because, dude, you go on social media, and the whole world is going crazy right now. Of course, with what's going on, you know, in Europe... And to me, I think, man, God had it in mind. He knew he knew this was going to happen. He has everything planned out from the beginning, the end. I'll be honest, I'm, not, I'm trying not to get too much into this because I don't want to tell you what my thoughts are on what's going on because you're going to kick me out of the church and think I'm crazy. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> We'll never know, right? <laughs> but it's like, dude, we get so caught up with all this information after all these things that we see, right? And we think, man, what's the truth? What's going on out there? You know, what is being hidden from me? Is this the truth? Is that the truth? Can I trust them? Can I trust this source? Like, what's going on out there? Right? My mind is going crazy. I try not to focus too much on it again because I could, again, I don't want to tell you what I think. Right? But then I read things like this and I, and I, and I realize, man, God, you're in control. These political figures, they don't know what they're doing, man. Right, they're hiding things from the people. We don't know what's going on, really. Now, I'm not saying that people aren't suffering. People are suffering, but we don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes. But God does. Right? He's got. He, there's that song that says, "He got the whole world in His hands," and it's true. Right, we sing that in the, in the children's ministry, but but we forget how true that is, and, and just the impact that that should have in our life. He, He's got the whole world in His hands, and now now it's never gonna slip out of His hands. You know, he's never gonna. He's never gonna stumble. He's never gonna slip. He's never gonna, he's never gonna slide. He's got it in His hands. He's got the world in His hands. These empires, these governors, these rulers, these nations. He's got our lives in His hands. That brings you peace. That should bring you peace. You know, in the the days that we're living in, us as Christians, we should stand out from the world. Right? We shouldn't be the ones that are out there going crazy, putting all kinds of crazy stuff man. Because if the world can't even look to the church for answers, if the world can't look to the church for peace, then who's going to look to? Right? I'm at work, and all these guys are talking all oh, day. This is like, and, and you know, I'm not taking part in the conversation, not because I don't want to, but because I have my own opinions. And they're asking, "Hey, bro, are you scared? Are you this, that? Or are you, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna stock up on toilet paper? Are you gonna stop putting your money in the bank and in the bank, put it under your mattress?" Like, nah, man, I got peace. Man, how could you have peace? Because, man, I know that my God is sovereign. This, that, the other. And it's like, dude, that's what the world—that's what the, what the world is looking for: for peace, for you know, some kind of answer, for truth. And this is truth. The Bible is truth. The word of God is truth. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Lord, thank you so much, Lord.